Welcome back to the 48 Men Podcast. This is Christian Huff, and I'm so excited for my guest today. His name is Graham Holmberg. He is a father, a husband, a CrossFit Games champion, and he uh, has a newfound love for construction that I just learned. So I'm so excited for him to be on the podcast. Uh, welcome, Graham, to the 48 Men Podcast. Awesome, man. Pleasure to be on and uh, excited to see uh, what transpires of the conversations today. And, and honestly, just following a little bit of your podcast I know it's it's still pretty uh, pretty new and just uh, I just I'm already excited just for for the progress that I've already seen with it and just a lot of the people that have came on and and to see encouragement I know I've received from it and and obviously that's always a, a quest is to leave a little bit of a legacy and an impact so congrats to you on the start thanks for having me man well thank you man yeah I'm seriously so excited to, to have a conversation with you and like we actually just ended up spending like 20 minutes before we even started this just having a conversation but. Um, I'm just going to ask you that question just real quick, you know, because you kind of explained to me a little bit about First Timothy 4.8 and how that verse has impacted your life. Can you kind of just explain to me again and maybe the listeners kind of what that verse has had an impact on you? Yeah, I think um, obviously as a, as a Christian, we should be delving into God's word on a regular basis. We should be sowing it and hiding it away in our hearts um, as we're instructed to do. And so I think we find ourselves gravitating towards verses that resonate with us. So as an athlete, as a personal trainer, as a coach, um, 1 Timothy 4.8 was one that kind of came across uh, came across my mind and, and I started reading on it um, you know, quite a few years ago. I had a member at our gym send me an email and he was just encouraged by um, just by, by the leadership at the gym and, and just being open to share my faith with our members and, and how we were coaching people at the gym. And uh, on his email, he had a signature, and he just had like, uh, finish the finish the race, fight the good fight, keep the faith. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna put uh, I'm gonna put a verse on the end of my email. And so I threw First Timothy four eight on there. So stars align, brother. We're here together. You're the four eight man podcast. Um, so you sought me out. I don't. I don't. I don't. I was just trying to Facebook stalk you guys for a little while, and then or not Facebook stalk. Sorry, Instagram stalk you guys for a while, and then I get hit up with this message. I told my wife. I said. This guy, I've been listening to this guy's podcast, and he just sends me, asked me to come be on it. So I had to say yes. I'm not a podcaster as far as speaking on them. So this is uh, this is kind of uh, unknown territory for me. Well, man, I'm really I'm really so thankful. And actually, I did I did seek you out because on on one of my first posts, I did a uh, I did a post of like you know comment who comment who I should have on the podcast, and your name was actually thrown around a bunch. I was like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to reach out to Graham to Graham at some point. So. Here we are make here we are making some people's dreams happen. Very cool. That's uh that's always humbling, man. When when uh I'll meet somebody, you know, randomly and we'll just we'll start having a conversation about what you do or what do I do and um and usually Savannah's eyes kinda like light up. She's like, All right, here we go. Um well I I'm like, Yeah, we just, we run a CrossFit gym. It's it, you know, it, we're in Columbus, blah blah blah. And then usually it's like the second or third time I come back to that person, they're like, dude. You won the CrossFit Games? Like, man, that was like a life ago. So I've been out of it for a while, but, um, but yeah, it's 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 just funny that somebody's like, I can just Google search your name, and like, you're like, you're out there, man. Like, you can we can find you on the internet. So um, that's always it's kind of funny to kind of laugh about that, but um, yeah, it's just a blessing. It's it's it's, it's a good thing. Um, it's been a bad thing. We'll probably get into that too at some point but yeah, yeah it's pretty cool well it's 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 actually so cool that you're so humble about it because that's no easy feat to achieve i mean 
you're competing with, I mean, hundreds of thousands and millions of people around the world, and you know, to be claimed the fittest in the world is, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty incredible achievement. Yeah. Well, um, very, very great timing. Um, I got into the sport really early, uh, really about the third year. Um, I think 07 was the first games. Uh, I hadn't even heard about it yet. I was still in college. Um, 08, uh, it was about when CrossFit kind of first came across my plate. And I, I remember at the time I was training pretty hard on my own. And I thought I was pretty confident in what I was doing was 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 more aggressive and, and more intense than anybody else that I knew around me training. And then um, I think I started navigating CrossFit.com and then I came across another friend of mine and he said, he's like, man, you need to, like, you're pretty good at fitness. Like, you need to, like, try the CrossFit games. I'm like, what is that? So we, he's like, you go, oh, we got to, you got to YouTube this thing. You got to check this thing out. So, yeah, that was, 09 was my first games. Um, learned a lot, got humbled pretty quickly, and that was in the that was at the original ranch setup. And then ten was when it went to the stub hub out in California, um, kind of in L.A. And it was like, wow, this really kicked up a notch from like this backyard barbecue to like a full on professional venue. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of the names that are that that you can throw around that were competing there in 2010 are. Uh, a lot of names that are very familiar and still very, very competitive athletes to this day. Um, but yeah, it was the tide was rising. I entered the sport at that time, um, learning how to Olympic lift at, at high levels, learning all the gymnastic skills at high levels. Um, was 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 fortunate to be kind of on that ground floor and kind of learn to kind of rise with the tide. And so, yeah, I mean, now looking at the sport, uh, it, it's 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 hard to kind of fathom like what it takes to win and obviously we only knew what we knew at the time um and so i'm not gonna say like it wasn't i wasn't just totally um challenging myself to levels that i never never thought i could push myself at the time when i won um but it's it's morphed into a totally different um of quest of professionalism that it is today yeah where did that for you where did that passion come from have you always been passionate about fitness or like from a young age or did you play sports growing up or where did that passion come from for you? Yeah, I would say uh, my, primarily my dad. Um, he coached every sport that I could, that he, he was able to coach until we pretty much got into like middle school. So uh, from football to baseball to basketball and it was just a perpetual cycle and I loved it. And I just always remember him saying, um, if we're not the most talented team, we're going to be in the best shape. So we were always running wind sprints like crazy at the end of practices. Um, and I think sometimes it was a little intentional. I think he wanted to kind of figure out who was, who really wanted to be there. And, um, you know, how kind of like the first couple of weeks of camps are always are, like the coaches are going to just kind of see who's been doing their homework and coming in prepared. But, um, yeah, so I, he, he always had a passion for fitness. He always was hyperactive, like playing basketball himself, playing softball, um, tagging me along with him when he's going to go hang out with – some of his buddies and play, play pickup hoops at the YMCA or something. And so I just, I feel like it was, I was always around it. And then even when I got into sports, um, I just always enjoyed being in the work, in the, in the weight room. Like some guys were like, can I just do the minimum list of exercises and like check the box and go, you know, shoot hoops or like just get back out and hit the ball off the tee and, and take some grounders or throw the football, whatever, you know, run routes. And, and I just always, I'm like, 
I just liked it. I, just, I liked the challenge, you know, physically, obviously, it's always fun to get stronger and see, um, you know, your muscles grow and get better and uh, perform better in the gym. But um, I don't know. I just, I always felt, um, felt it like just exciting to like see what your max reps could be on a, on a bench or, or see how much weight you could squat or how much weight you could hang clean or deadlift. So I just always really enjoyed challenging myself in the gym. Um, I don't necessarily would say that I saw the, the direct translation to my sport. I always think sport has a, has a special place for it and you need to hone those skills specifically. But, um, I definitely know that, um, you know, if you're, if you're more explosive, you're more balanced, you're stronger in the gym, you're probably going to see that, uh, that transfer onto the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some guys, you know, it that are phenoms in the gym and, you know, they're tripping over their feet trying to run a route. Um, and so it doesn't always necessarily go hand in hand. I think both of the skills need independent uh, training, but uh, the more you can intertwine them, I think I think the fruit of that will become evident. Yeah. Well, I, well, first off, I loved how you you started with you know your dad coached you in all the sports because my dad was the same way. Uh, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, all the way up until middle school, my dad coached me and everything. We did travel baseball. We literally went everywhere. And my dad was the parent who thought that oh, I. I, not to throw him under the bus because I'm not because I wish he did too. He 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 was he he thought he should have kept coaching throughout middle school and high school. Um, and I I agree. I, I wish he I wish he would have been the coach. But uh, yeah, throughout uh, little league and flag or not not flag football but pee wee football and all those things up until middle school, he was he he was my coach and we we won a lot of championships under him. So he we should have continued that legacy. But oh yeah, I mean. Yeah, dude. My my dad. I'm sure once once he catches wind that I'm I'm sitting here talking, he's gonna he's gonna be going. Yep, yep, yep. Like he he. If we were whooping people in our league, he was like, "We're this league soft. Let's go find someplace else. Let's let's travel. Like I want to play the best competition, and um, and that's how you're gonna get better. Just continually keep putting yourself against the, the best competition and see what we're made of. And we got our butts kicked sometimes. We went to some new tournaments yeah. and some 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 new areas, and we we're like, "Ooh, okay." Pond's a little bit bigger. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit, a uh, little bit more, but we got better. And a lot of times, it seemed like the next year we'd come back to that same tournament and win it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun growing up because we didn't lose very much. And um, yeah. and he just, he did instill though, <laughs> and I kind of laughed a little bit, but he did always instill like win with class, lose with class. Um, but my dad also had had been kicked out of plenty plenty of little league tournaments. Oh, my, same with my dad. You he know, had been like dad. He had been kicked out. He had been he had been ejected. I don't want to say from so many, but he he had been ejected from his hand his handful of bad calls. And looking yes. back on it, it was just funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, yeah it's honestly, that's probably though, more of it. it. Um, not, I don't think necessarily like when when we teams legitimately beat you sometimes. It would it would be more of like. You know, the obvious, like getting homer, just really bad calls. And you're like, huh, just so happens we're playing the host team. And this thing seemed to be going a little bit too well for them. Um, he, he wasn't shy to, to speak up. But, hey, he, he was like, I'm, it's, it's obvious, it's blatant, it's truth. And so, you know, maybe that's, um, that's still a good character trait to, to speak truth. But uh, grace and truth is also good, too. Yeah. Yeah, man, my dad is the exact same way. Um, do you do you, do you plan on 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 uh, not teaching your kids? But do you, do you plan on 
being the coach to your kids when they when they start playing sports like that? Yeah, I mean, so, are, they, are they of that age now? Yeah, I, I've uh, my oldest son is eight, um, so I've coached I've coached his basketball thus far. Um, he plays some golf with me, and I've I've done. He's actually, I think he's got some really good potential. He's just got a really good natural athletic golf swing. Um, and I wish that was a sport that I would have played young. My dad never really wanted me playing golf just for the sake of just creating an upward type swing, um, which, I, you know, makes sense. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the desire is there to, to teach them and coach them. Um, yeah, so he's my oldest son. My daughter just turned six, so she's kind of doing some gymnastics and type stuff. Uh, at, up to this point, my other son just turned five, so you know he's he's not even doing anything just quite yet. But um, yeah, I mean that that's definitely something that's uh, that my, my wife and I have discussed. I'm like you know I, I want to you know I I want to we want to be selective in in making sure that a sport doesn't become something that's so uh, such a priority for us. That it's it's splitting and significantly separating family time for us because that's something that's really near and dear to us. Um, but but we ultimately also want our kids to enjoy and experience opportunities and see you know what what they're passionate about and what they enjoy and what they want to spend time uh, working on and honing skills on um, and, and something that maybe they can really dig dig their teeth into for a little while. So yeah, right now we've we've just. We've been a little bit hitting the brakes on getting in the sports rat race because you know how that yeah. can go once once it starts turning it's, over it's and it's just it's all it's gonna year going to be crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, it's even like because I mean, even when I was growing up, it it I feel like it was cycling towards that, but now it's like I mean every sport is literally year round and it's traveling and if and if you're not traveling, then you're you're not going to get seen by prospects and your son's eight, so he doesn't have to deal with that yet, but you know, at 12 and 13, I mean, it's, it's literally so consumptuous. And like you said, I mean, so, so many of those Sundays playing travel baseball, we, we weren't going to church because we were having championship games and we were doing all these different things. And, um, this just, it really just becomes so just, you know, consuming that it's, it's, it's literally all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at least from my perspective, I always enjoyed it. I know, you know, you hear stories of kids that got burned out at a young age even get kids that were really, really talented and probably more talented and, and had opportunities to go farther than, you know, I, I played at a small division three level in college, um, but had the opportunity to probably go to, to levels higher, but just were done, just were fried out. And, um, and, and sadly, um, you know, that, that happens. I think there's a lot of things, a lot of factors that, that can happen into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know for me personally, I'm like, I, that's all I was thinking about all day long. I'm like, I can't wait to get to practice. I can't wait for games. I can't wait to get uniforms. I can't wait. It, it just, it's, it was just, I was so excited. And then, you know, the season would wrap up and it was like, by the time I was in high school, usually the coaches would be like, Hey, take a week off and then come join, you know, camp or whatever. Um, but usually I'm like, no, I'm fine. I want to, I want to go like, we go right into the next sport. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean that was for me. I, I I did baseball all growing up, and then I think my sophomore, junior year of high school, I just got so, it, I just got so burned out. And 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 I don't know if that was because you know I played so much growing up, or if that was because when I got to high school, it was just so, you know, almost like a job. And and granted, I know that if, if I were if I were to have wanted to keep playing, it would it would have become a job. But at that point in my life, I still wanted to 
hang out with friends and, you know, still do things I wanted to do and, and not be so consumed by, by the sport. And I think I just, it just got to me at, at that age. And, um, I mean, if, if, if I had continued playing, then I probably wouldn't be here talking to you on this podcast. I, I think it's definitely the Lord that orchestrated all of that. But even just looking back at me playing sports and baseball and football, and I just got so burned out on it because I just played so much. Well, yeah, I mean, well, so so here you are now. You were at Auburn, and that's yep. that's the that's the legit big real deal Auburn, right? Yep, yeah, Auburn University. Okay. Yeah, so I was there. Did not play sports there. Um, could have had opportunities to play baseball there, um, but ended up going to school. Uh, we um, I was in a fraternity. We we I, pl- I played a bunch of intramural stuff, so I still. Uh, I still kind of, you know, was on, hung on, hung on, hung on the coattails there for a little bit. Um, so enjoyed doing that, and then really just got into fitness throughout throughout college, just with some of my buddies and and um, and all those different things. And then uh, now I'm just trying to turn it into more of a of, of a ministry than a hobby. So 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 for CrossFit, um, I know that we talked about it a little bit, but you then you humbly humbly said that in 2010 that you won the CrossFit Games, um, which for those of you who don't know what that is, that is like the highest, can you kind of explain what it is? Because it's really like the highest peak for fitness, of, you know, in the world for people. Yeah, I mean, obviously some people, I think, started trying to combat that a little bit. I think when it first came on the scene and Greg Glassman at the time, the owner of CrossFit said, if you think what you're doing is better than what we're doing and you think you're better than these athletes and you're fitter than these people he's like i don't you won't even need to qualify if you just reach out to us you tell us what you're doing and uh we'll, we'll make a spot for you. you can come you can come show up and compete and we'll see see what your fitness protocol is doing and and if uh and if you're right and you're successful and you prove uh your fitness is is better than what our protocol is we'll adopt it <laughs> we'll do it so crossfit never said what we're doing is, um, you know, completely revolutionary. But I think the methodology and the application and the intent to uh, learn new skills, the intent to um, not specialize. Um, I think you have those crowds of the Olympic lifters and the power lifters um, or the endurance athletes. Uh, it, and, and with all due respect, they probably should be a little offended. I think what they they fully respect what they're doing is phenomenal in in its in its lane it absolutely is a power lifter deadlifting a thousand pounds back squatting you know uh, over a thousand pounds and benching 700 800 pounds is unbelievable it takes an immense amount of dedication to get to that type of level of strength uh and the same thing of, of a marathon who can marathoner who can run a sub minute sub five minute mile for 26 miles straight is is insane um so you know, just talking with Adam Adam Clink, and uh, that was one of the most recent podcasts I listened. You do with him, and I know Ben Smith really well, um, and so I know Adam through Ben. And yeah, him doing a five minute mile and a five hundred back squat was was the protocol of like what CrossFit said. Like this is what we're on the quest to do, not to be too uh, too submerged in one area. So the qualification went, um, you know, went from like regional events, and you know they would have pockets of of affiliates and crossfit gyms send their best athletes and they they would whittle it down through the weekend and then that qualifier would go to another uh, larger event and then you'd end up at the at the crossfit games 
And, um, you know, at that point in time, you wouldn't know what, what the workouts were going to be. So you're, you're pretty much showing up in California with the expectation of two to three days of, of fitness tests from swimming to weightlifting to body weight type stuff to combination workouts um, without really any true understanding of what you were going to be doing. You definitely knew you were going to probably deadlift. You knew you were going to run. Uh, you knew you were going to probably do pull-ups, maybe climb ropes, um, push sleds, flip tires. I mean, you had a general, you know, fairly good snapshot of what to expect. But the combinations, the rep schemes, the durations of the workouts were unknown um, and kept secret until a lot of times, sometimes minutes uh, before you'd actually step on the floor and compete and do it. So the opportunity to strategize and know pacing um, was was not available. You just pretty much had to show up and and what type of capacity you had, you had to display it. And so, yeah, that's how things panned out. I was in great shape. I was super healthy. Um, to be honest, I thought the events were really good for a lot of the athleticism and skill sets that I had developed at the time. But um, a friend of mine, that an acquaintance more or less from through CrossFit, I didn't really know him too well, he had said early on, he goes, if I win the CrossFit Games, that's great, but I would rather be marked by a guy who's top five at the CrossFit Games over the course of five, 10 years, um, and just regularly, consistently being able to display that type of capacity and fitness. And so that kind of stuck with me. And, um, of course, winning the games, like the second time I'm doing it, I'm like, oh shoot, um, I've, I'm now at the top. Now what do I do? And some of that fire is, it's, it's tough to kind of get back on and, and figure out, okay, this was actually what I was on the quest for, for, and I didn't realize it was going to, I didn't think, didn't expect it to happen so quick. Um, but finding that hunger, finding that drive, finding that capacity to continually keep getting better and, and keep sharpening the axe every year and come back and uh, you know defend the title or just continually just keep trying to be in the hunt for the podium um, was something that you know sat with me for the next handful of years. So you know winning the games once was great. I was there six times uh, from 2009 through 2015. So that was uh, more of one of those things that I was I was pretty proud of that. I was able to to continually be a guy that was just in the mix and could potentially still win events, maybe not necessarily podium, but um, just I was I was pretty excited and and honored just to to be able to stay healthy and competitive for as long as I could. Did you really like love that? Because I feel like you know competing so so competitively and even just the, the amount of training and stuff that goes into it, I feel like it'd be hard to to do that and and, and achieve that and not truly love it. Um, so was there a party that? that did it mainly because you were just really good at it or did, did you really just love like love competing and love and love training to, you know, to try to win again and try to just compete at that level? Sure. Uh, definitely both. And I mean, uh, when you're, you're in the midst of, uh, you know, a 90 degree day and the humidity is, is insane and you're here in the Midwest and you're training and it's your second or third workout of the day and you're just, you're just, your body's wrecked. You're exhausted, and you're like, "Why am I doing this to myself?" Um, but there was there was something about that 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 moment of of showing up on on race day, showing up at uh, at competition day, and being able to look down the line, know that you put the time in, and then to 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 sell out in a workout. So I think there was a competitive itch that definitely needed scratched for me once sports ended, and I just was like, I. I just I'm just competitive. Whatever I did, I wanted to do it to the best I could. So I think that was part of that hunger. Um, but yeah, it's tough. I think, like I said, both and 
you learn to love facets of it. Um, you, you really had to learn to fall in love with the journey because the victories were, were far and few between. Um, and some guys are, have been on that quest for, you know, going on a decade and have maybe never cracked the top 10 or maybe never podiumed. Um, and so, yeah, the, the fight to continually keep grinding and grinding and keep trying to get there is, is tough and it's, it's, it's wearing for sure. Um, but I, I, I learned, I learned to have a lot of fun and joy along the way. Um, because, you know, I think the friendships and the camaraderie and the, and the kind of the brotherhood of guys that you were, you were showing up to the gym together to push and continually see each other get better was just something that, um, you, you couldn't put kind of a tangible, tangible, um, you know, price on that, right? You, 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 you can't really measure, you know, what those friendships and, and what that camaraderie really just did for your kind of morale day in day out so yeah it was a it was a it was a tough 10 years of of grinding but uh, a lot of joy a lot of challenge and uh, a lot of good came from it too yeah so when you said that you trained when you said that you trained two to three hours or not not two to three hours two to three times a day which is far more than two to three hours how did you balance you know that 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 side of the physical training versus what you were doing for yourself spiritually um at that time in your life yeah, so the uh, for sure the challenge of of finding your your spiritual walk being strong and and just for clarity, like a lot of people use the word spiritual, um, my clarity on that would be my faith in Jesus Christ alone. So Jesus being the, my my Lord and Savior of my soul of my life, um, and finding. Uh, the reality that he and he alone should be uh, the, the throne of my heart. And no doubt the training that required um, this, the, you can call it vanity that comes from it, the selfishness, um, the mood swings, the, uh, the, the irritableness of like making sure you got every training session in and you got, uh, you, you didn't eat incorrectly or you got your sleep thrown off and, um, the the grace and the patience that my wife displayed through those years um i'm just i'm i thank the lord that uh that she she put up with me in, in so many different ways so that i think is the danger um of that for me personally um i found crossfit to become an idol uh, because it 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 consumed my every thought. It consumed, I was worried about what the next guy was doing. I was worried about what the possibility of the workouts could be. Um, I was worried about, am I in shape enough? And so, yes, it was my job. Yes, it was my career. Yes, I was getting paid um, to do it. Uh, but the the challenge that it, it pulled on your heart and the distraction that it took away from uh, just recognizing God's grace uh, and mercies on my life and my walk day in day out, um, for sure became blurry. And, um, and that was a, that was a huge, I believe for me about 2018, there was a big, big repentance for me of the idolization that CrossFit was on my, my heart for a long time. I ended up getting baptized. I'd always kind of delayed baptism, uh, if you will, cause I kind of, was like, well, I'm saved. I know, I know, I know Jesus is my savior. And, um, and I don't know, I, I mean, 
I definitely had um, uh, personal issues and, and sin that was present in my life. And I think that there was components of that that I'm like, well, if I get baptized and I may need to say no to these or I may need to eliminate these these things. And, um, and it's always challenging because a lot of the guys that I have good relationships with now, um, you know, and, and we share different struggles that we, we dealt with over the years. Um, you know, some of those things, it's, it's always, um, it's always a good, good release to, to know that, uh, yes, I, I was, I was claiming to walk with the Lord, but I was also, um, I had a lot of struggles that I was dealing with. Um, and I'm just, I just thank the Lord that, um, some of that was revealed. Some of that conviction was laid on me and, um, and, and taken from me. Now, yes, I still struggle and I still have um, daily repentance and, and apologies and uh, sharing with our, our children like daddy's a sinner. Daddy lost some control there um, and uh, daddy lost some gentleness that I could have uh, I could have handled that situation better. And not, not only to my children, but to members at our gym and, I, and to, to my wife. So um, I think a lot of times when you're in a really successful lane, um, you're a little bit blinded to that. And uh, you continually just keep on trucking because you're like, well, things are still going good. We're just going to keep on staying on the same track that we're doing. Um, but yeah, I feel like the Lord gave me some strength in some areas that, uh, that I had been struggling with for, for, for years. Man, it's so cool to hear you talk. I mean, you you really do have so much humility. Um, that's something that me me and my father in law talk about a, a bunch. Actually, is baptism. Um, so, if you don't mind me asking you, what you know, what prompted you in twenty eighteen to make to make that step of baptism? Yeah. Um, well, I think that uh, there was there was a moment in, in, with the situation that we're dealing with now in our in our culture with sickness and colds and whatever's going on. Um, I remember getting sick and, and some people call it the man flu where, you know, we get the flu and we're just, we're like Savannah had to turn the baby monitor off. She's like, I, you're making sounds in the bedroom. I don't even know what's going on. Like, are you okay up there? Um, and I'm like, you don't have any idea what kind of pain I'm in. And I just remember being so sick and thinking like, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but like, just, just end it. Like, I can't deal with this pain anymore. And I wake up the next day and be like, thank you, God, that you did not take me. I don't know what I was dealing with last night, but I was in so much pain. But I just, I remember getting a really nasty, like, season of the flu. And there was just some fragility and some reality that hit of like, God, I don't, I don't know if this sickness was what you brought on for me to like, wake up for some stuff. Um, but it shook me. It really shook me. And I, I wouldn't say that I didn't know the Lord or I wasn't walking in faith. Um, but no doubt, seasons of backsliding, seasons of, of, of partying and uh, pornography. Um, uh, like I said, partying, just things that like, like, Graham, seriously, what are, why is this even, why is this even happening again? Why are you even screwing around with this? And it really comes from you know, you start thinking about it. You're tempted by it. Before you know it, like you're 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 back doing something you sh- you clearly know you should not be doing, and um, and so, anyways, that sickness hit, and I just remember telling my wife, I'm like, the Lord is shaking me, and I've never, and I don't know what it is, and I just I remember all of a sudden I was waking up at like 3 a.m. like in the middle of the night, and I just was in the Word, 
I was praying and I was like watching sermons left and right. And like Savannah had come down and it's like six in the morning. She's like, how long have you been up? I'm like, I don't know. I'm on my fourth cup of coffee. I'm like crushing it. I'm like halfway through Acts already. And, um, and it was just, it was some great awakening for me in some sense. And I was like, I'm going to get baptized. And, uh, I feel like the Lord's calling me to get baptized. So reached out to a pastor, local pastor that actually was doing church services in our gym. And then, uh, was like, I don't, whatever the soonest you can do it, man, like, give me the dunk. I'm, I'm ready to like, I really feel like I've been just like, uh, not fully given, fully surrendering my life to the Lord. And I'm, and I'm done with that, man. I want to, I want to change. And, uh, I feel like the Lord's calling me to, to like really make a significant change of, of, of what my heart is focused on. And, um, yeah. And that's, that's it, man. And I, Honestly, that was, like I said, four years ago, and so I just turned 37. I'm thinking, well, I'm 33, so that's a good number. I said, uh, Jesus Jesus died when he was 33. I feel like Jesus woke me up, and I'm fully alive for the first time at 33. So uh, so here we go. Let's do it. And that was, uh, that was a big turning point for me in my life, and um, like I said, some, some of the fragility, maybe the sickness kind of stirred that up, but uh, yeah, that was a... That was a pretty pivotal moment for me. That's awesome, man. That's so cool, and I, I, I love, I love the thirty-three, the thirty-three correlation. Sure, because it's, it's even something that, like, I think about. So, so if, if you think about your life when you're thirty-three, like, and what's so fascinating about about Jesus and the Gospels, it's like Jesus was only known publicly for three years. So, but from from thirty to thirty-three, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he was only known for three years. And he changed the history of, he's the most famous person to ever live. He's changed the course of history. It's 2022 because of Jesus' death. Like, how can one man who was only known for three years change, change everything? Like, it's, it's, it's fascinating me to, to actually think about, like, three years of your life and you change, you change history. Mm-hmm. Because he's God. And, um... Because he's God and we are not. Um, yeah, the the man who you know, the man God, the God incarnate, and I love that. Like you said, it's 2022 because Jesus, Jesus's uh, birth and death. Um, you know, he splits time and gives us that frame of reference. So yeah, that's that's always that's always a fun you know, kind of a fun point to kind of come back to, especially I'm sure, I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with people who are, you know, are going to say, uh, you, you know, you're going to put on your apologetics hat and you're going to talk stuff. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> I, do we, do we debate that Jesus existed? And, uh, because some of the most renowned atheists don't deny that he existed. Uh, you know, they may say he was just a carpenter, just a poor man's carpenter. And that was it. Um, but it's just interesting that that we have that frame of reference of our timeline uh, revolves around uh, Christ's Christ's birth and death. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And he, and even the other end of the spectrum, like if you just because you know earlier you you spoke on fragility, and when you really think about life, it really is a mist and it really is a vapor and it really is so fragile. And like I don't know, man, like just the idea that like just thinking that this is it, it's just crazy to me, like, that we're here, you know, what are we here for, like, 
is is there anything after this you know creation how was how were how did everything happen how 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 did planets form how i mean microscopic organisms and and all these different things of like if the sun was any closer we'd burn if it was any further we'd freeze if the moon spun any other way in orbit then the tides would go crazy like everything is so methodically placed and it's just like i just i i I, for me growing up even when i when i when i wasn't necessarily following jesus but i was still in church every sunday i still had that framework of like there has to be something like just the idea that something just exploded and everything just was placed perfectly millions and light years and just space and everything it's just to me it takes so much faith to believe that something just miraculously happened perfectly and everything just happened and then life and then evolution and like i don't know to it to me it's just crazy to not think that there's a creator that that created it whether i don't know so that's just the other end of the spectrum that's where i go it's like for me it's like if you just look at the stars and if you look at the sun and the moon like I just feel like some, it, it's so intentional. I just feel like something had to, something or someone had to have created that. I just don't think it just happened. Yeah. And I'm just well, here by chance. Absolutely. Romans 1, you know, answers that too for us, that, that God has made himself known through creation, that um, that even, even without having scripture, even without uh, knowing what God's word says that, you know, in Genesis, that in the beginning um, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, "Let the, you know the whole Genesis uh, creation story, uh, Genesis one, two, three." But it's interesting how quickly man has fell to worshiping the created. We we would rather find uh, find the worship in in the plants and the animals and the crawling things. Um, and, and and honestly, like, and you look at the evolutionary chart that that the uh, an evolution person would believe. And what do they believe? They believe there was, uh, you know, some primordial goop that we, a lizard, you know, some sort of fish made its way out and lightning struck. I mean, it's, it's, we see this chart of growth of we're, we're worshiping a creator uh, or sorry, a creation. We're worshiping the created, um, not just pausing for a second saying, wait a second, even in our theory of belief, there still had to be something that started that to get to that point. It didn't just exist out of nothing. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's obviously that can be a fun um, a fun apologetics merry-go-round for for anybody in a, in a debate. But um, but yeah, I think I think the questioning of truth, the questioning of existence, um, is is wired into our DNA, and I, I'm a man of faith in where I am today because of seeking seeking knowledge and seeking truth um for we know that the the fear of the lord is the beginning of of knowledge and the fear of the god is the is the beginning of knowledge so understanding that that first and foremost it's pretty clear we're going to die one day we will be no longer here as you mentioned james uh you know what is life but a vapor but a mist so until we can grasp that and we recognize one day you're not going to wake up tomorrow um, that should should stem a little fear in you, and then that should then start make you question what is next, where did I come from, what's my purpose here, um, and obviously we could we could go for hours on on those questions of of what is what is in life all about. Yeah, because I mean Romans one even says it also says for although they knew God, they did not acknowledge Him or give thanks to Him. So 
you know, and that that's just a that's just a scary place to be. Mm. It is. It absolutely is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest challenge, and um, you know, actually, I had I had somebody ask this question the other day. They said, you know, what comes first, uh, discipleship or salvation? Um, and you know, I was like, man, that's a deep question, right? Because we know that uh, we know that. Jesus had said that that no one comes to the Father unless the Father calls him, and so uh, we know that God ordains um, our hearts to be turned towards Him in a specific pattern that that God's sovereign hand plays over our lives. Um, but there's an interesting compound of discipling that comes along with that. Um, and I know I spoke with a lot of people. Very, very rarely can I even recall a conversation where. Somebody's like, oh, I've never even heard of Jesus or I've never even heard of the concept of sin or this need for salvation um, or need for a savior for me to stand in right standing before God on judgment day. Um, But yeah, sign me up. I'm saved by Jesus Christ right now. It's usually going to take and uh, there's a good guy that I listen to a lot, Frank Turek. And he says, you know, sometimes it's it's just getting the guy to first base, creating the conversation to get them on base to understand the concept of what sin is. I mean, um, and then somebody else maybe come along and, and, and get them over to second base in another conversation. And it may take several years of, of conversations for some people to, to, to be discipled to that point where they're, they're grasping the understanding of, of, of Christ's work on the cross, what, uh, what God has done from the onset of Adam through the point to where we are today. And, uh, and ultimately God's full story um, and how we fit into that. Um, but I, I don't want to say, you know, I was, I was talking to my brother-in-law. I was like, I'm not going to say like, there's, there's nobody that I, that, that is, a, is in the world that never has, has, has given their life to Christ in that moment. Um, but it's challenging at least, at least where we live in the, in the Western world. Um, it's pretty hard for somebody to say, oh, I've never heard of Jesus or I've never heard of the concept of sin or, um, yeah. you know, uh, Jesus as a savior, uh, for us before God alone. Yeah one day. So yeah. Well, I love that idea. That's so, I've never thought about that salvation and discipleship because if you think about it, like you have, uh, I mean, throughout the gospels, it talks about the cost of discipleship. So there's a cost that goes into it. You know, he talks about, you know, what man sits down to build a house and doesn't have enough money to finish that he'll be ridiculed and those kind of things. But then there's also, when you think about it, the thief on the cross, um, you know, Jesus said, today you'll be with me, today you will be with me in paradise. So there's all these things throughout Scripture. If you look at specifically the New Testament, you know, there's repentance, there's baptism, there's um, confess Jesus is Lord, there's believe in your heart, there's confess sins, there's all these different things that, you know, that kind of add up. And it's really like, it's just, it, 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 it's, it's really interesting to think about because there's not like necessarily one thing. And I do like, there's that idea of like, you know, there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. And, and I agree with that. There, it's, it's grace. You know, we, we, we can't earn it. But there is, there is that you do step into something. You know, there is a old self and a new self. There is a, you know, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So there is this transformation that, that, that does take place of like, this is how I was living. This is how I'm living now. I think that's the repentance that, you know, that you talked about earlier. Um, and discipleship just like an ongoing thing. But yeah, salvation, because even with Jesus and the thief on the cross, it's like he wasn't baptized. He he wasn't, you know, he, he just said you know, it, it was a sign of repentance, what I think it was. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So it's like, okay, 
But then again, that was also Jesus incarnate, you know, speaking to a man, which is different than, you know, somebody today. So, um, but that's an, that's an interesting thought. I like that. Yeah. And I've, I've heard it a couple times. It was a couple years ago that somebody presented that to me and I'm like, Ooh, you know, that's one of those, like makes you have to question a little bit, but absolutely. We are on a path of sanctification. We are, we're in the not so fun stage, right? Like, uh, we get, we get the moment of justification when, when Christ truly becomes the Lord and King of our hearts. Uh, and, and then we get the, the absolute righteousness placed upon us, uh, upon our, our, our opportunity to stand before the Lord and, and on, on judgment day. Uh, but we're in the not so fun stage of sanctification where it's, it's a little bit of work. Um, and yeah, and absolutely discipling, um, is something that we are specifically called to, right? So Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, "Go therefore um, to all nations, making disciples." And I think sometimes we kind of confuse that with converts. Like we're just in this quest to just get somebody to confess, like, "Yes, I accept Jesus." Um, but it's the discipling component of of continually nurturing that conversation, continually challenging one another in study, continually challenging one another um, in our walks. And obviously, um, the, the, the Holy Spirit will, will make himself known to us in those areas that he wants to, uh, he wants to, to, to write. And like I said, I think for me, um, I was suppressing that a little bit. I think that we even see some of that spoke of again in Romans 1 where, um, where we, can, we can push back against God so much that God turns us over. And he says, this is your desire. All right, that's, that's going to be your desire. And I think when we are truly um, on that path of discipleship, we're still going to have those moments where we're going to try to push back and say, God, I want to do this. And I don't, I don't, I just like, I don't want to hear it, you know. Um, But that conviction, that heaviness on our hearts, uh, we should be, there will be, there was no doubt, um, truly, if we're walking with the Lord, um, you're, you're going to have a sorrowful heart. Um, and repentance should be following that confession should be following that very quickly. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I've, I've, I've explained it to some people too. Like there's big R repentance and little R repentance. There's, there's going to be ongoing, you know, daily repentance of things for us. Um, but I, I do believe that, um, I'm genuinely in God's hands now. Um, and that, uh, the justification, just as Ephesians two eight says, uh, it was by faith alone, um, by by His grace alone, not not of my works. And so I don't want to confuse any any path or works that I'm stepping into um, are my own, because the Scripture says they are already preordained by God for me to walk into. Um, so that's uh, again where, for me, uh, just trying to always kind of keep an inventory on on what my heart is focused on, what my what words I'm speaking, um, and and how I'm leading. Um, uh, a, a good testimony amongst my peers. Yeah, I love. I also love. I love that you brought up Frank Turek because I really, I really enjoy listening to his stuff at, at Cross Examine. But um, I'm pretty sure yeah. he's expl- um, with a D. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. I'm pretty sure he's explained it this way. But because I've, you know, I talk with a lot of people and I hear a lot of people say because you, you just kind of brought it up in Romans where it says, um, you know, if you push God enough, He'll just give you over to your desires. And that idea of like. When you, if you think about afterlife, when you think about heaven and let's say uh, a Christless eternity, um, you know, that idea of like 
uh, how could how could a loving God, you know, send somebody to to hell? Well, it's it's the idea. It's not that he's first off, he's not sending you there. You're sending yourself there. So it's like God is so loving that he can't force you into his presence. So if you don't want to be with God, then he can't force you to be where he is because you don't want to be there. So the only other option is to be where he's not. So it's actually loving for him because if he gives you over to those desires, that's him loving you because he can't force you to do something that you don't want to do against your will. Um, So it's like, because it, it, it really is. It's like you want to do something and then it's wrong, but God gives you over to those desires as, as we just talked about. And it's like, you, you, you make those, you, you make those choices. So where you end up, if it's not with Jesus and it's not with God, it's because you chose not to be there. It's not that he, he's punishing you and sent you there, but it was, it was loving to him. And he, he, he doesn't want you to go there. You know, that's why he sent his son, Jesus to reconcile, to reconcile us to him through his death and through his resurrection. So if we believe that, and if we truly live a life that, that reflects that, then, you know, we will be with, we will be with him in heaven and we will be with him in heaven because that's where, that's where we want to be. Sure. And what a great point. Like when somebody says, well, when I stand before God, then I'll say, well, now I believe you. Now I can see you. Now I, I would believe you. Well, God, our life right now is like at the front door, front porch to our house. Like, uh, we're not even truly in yet. Um, you know, we're just getting a, a little bit, little bit of a foretaste of, of what our passions are, um, where our desires lie. Um, and, and God has called us to, to absolutely do all that we do as if working heartily for the Lord, Colossians 3.23. So it, there is a, still a sense that we have a called duty and a called passion and pursuit, whether it's work with our hands, whether it's, uh, we're phenomenal with numbers, um, but there's definitely uh, a clear call for us to be uh, eternally minded in our in our lives right now, because why would I think I would want to to love God and spend eternity with Him if I have no desire to know Him now? And I think that's always a that's a heavy question, right? Like if oh well, when I see God, like you you don't have any desire to know God at this moment right now and in this life. Why would you think all of a sudden in eternity you're going to want to love God and 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 uh, and worship Him for eternal uh, for an eternal state? Luke 16 is a great passage where it's the only parable where Jesus actually uses a name and he calls Lazarus and they're talking about a, a visual scene of hell and um, it's interesting that the rich man that was sent there he doesn't even ask to be removed from hell he says just send Lazarus to just tip tip some water on my tongue just to help satisfy me while I'm here. So it, it's, it's, it's an interesting picture that Jesus paints that the, the man in hell doesn't even ask the servant who he basically threw scraps to at his door, you know, at his, at his gates to, to find a way to get him out. He just actually just says, just help give me something to satisfy me while I'm here. Um, again, yet another scary picture. Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus talked a lot about a lot of things and, and he definitely he, he mentioned hell quite regularly, um, yeah. and that's uh, well. The, the scariest thing, I mean, Matthew seven. Um, not everyone who's not everyone who says, "Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven," and then it says, "You know, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, 
and he says, depart from me for I never knew you. And like, I mean, that verse is just stuck with me so much because it's like, it, he, he's saying I never knew you, which which is that relationship, you know, it's it's not this legalistic, I go to church on Sunday, I do these things, but it's truly a relationship. And it's it's scary to know that idea of like, I can know God, but he not know me. And that's that's what we talked about in Romans 1, it says, for although, they, for although they knew God. So Jesus is saying like, I never knew you. And it's like, it's just such as, I don't know, man, that that little sentence and that that thing he said has just stuck with me because it's like, I don't want to ever be in a point where my life where he does not know me because I want to have this relationship where, where, where we're friends, where, where we, you know, where we just do life together. He's, he's my father. He's my savior. He's my friend. He's, he's all these things to me. And man, that verse is just daunting. Yeah. Four scary words, man. I never knew you for sure. Very, very, uh, very real. Before we, before we get off, I want to, I want to hear what physical and spiritual challenge you, you're giving us to do. It's good, man. You, uh, you had me kind of challenged. I was like, all right, so what do I present? So something I heard a little while ago and something I started doing was journaling and, um, and just taking a moment to slow down enough to actually open up a pad, write down some thoughts that are on my heart, sometimes even just journaling a prayer. Um, so I'll find myself writing out essentially a prayer to God, and then I'll even find time just closing it, and then just kind of being quiet and still before the Lord. Um, I try to work on doing that first thing in the morning. Um, it's not always the easiest. I get up anywhere between three forty-five to four a.m. every day, um, and so getting that done first thing is is tough. But getting that done um, on a consistent basis, I feel like I've always seen really, really good fruit, and just finding myself being rooted. But the challenge, um, we know that we have God's word because of dedicated men who have sat down and took the time to put pen to pad. Um, and so one of the challenges a lot of times that kings were, were quested with was to handwrite and to rescribe um, scripture. Obviously, King James Version. Um, we know Moses, we know Ezra, we know Jeremiah, we know Paul was a phenomenal writer. We know that, that Luke was a ph- phenomenal penman. Um, but we have God's spoken word for us on paper because of the patience and the dedication to, to sit down and write it and not just keep it as an oracle tradition. Um, so the challenge, I say all that, land the plane, Graham. Here we go. The challenge is, my encouragement is to take a book out of the New Testament and to handwrite word for word every um, every line out of a book from the New Testament. Now don't go cheating and do like Jude that's like one chapter or like Philemon that's like half a page. Like get you some like Colossians, um, maybe even, you know, Titus is a little shorter. You could probably, you could probably do, uh, do Titus, uh, maybe Ephesians. So, you know, take an epistle, um, a pastoral letter, take an epistle letter, um, maybe even one of the books of the gospel and uh, write word for word. My challenge for me in the next week is to do every word in the book of Colossians. It's one of my favorite chapters. So I'm going to try to sit down, handwrite every word into my notepad, uh, all the book of Colossians. I love that. So that's a spiritual challenge. Um, yeah, so... And think about how honored we are. We have a pen that just the ink keeps rolling out. Can you imagine doing that with like a scroll wrote out, pen down? You got like a feather and ink. Like, 
it's it's a different ball game that those guys were dealing with. Um, and I mean, David, uh, a man after God's own heart, you know, writing seventy to eighty psalms, you know, relatively like that's a lot of writing, man. Um, if we look at the first five books of the Bible, like that's a lot of writing Moses had to do to put that down. Um, but anyways, that's that's the challenge. Physical challenge. Um, again, hearing some of the things that guys done before. One of my favorite workouts. It's simple. It starts easy. It almost feels like this is too easy. It's called death by clean and jerk. So um, the objective of the workout is to get a clock set up in front of you, run the clock. Um, you can have it beep every minute for you, or you can just keep an eye on it every time it comes back around. The first minute, you're going to take a barbell. The weight is really kind of be determined, but the weight I would use would be 135 pounds. So you got men's Olympic bar with 45s. You're going to get it to your shoulder. You're going to get it to overhead. You're going to do that one time in the first minute. Take it from the ground, clean it, jerk it, put it to the floor. Now you get a rest for the rest of that 60 seconds. On the second minute, you got to clean it, jerk it, drop it to the floor, clean it, jerk it. You got to do two reps in the second minute. Third minute, you got to do three reps. Fourth minute, you got to do four reps. Fifth minute, you got to do five. So eventually you will die. Eventually you will not be able to execute those amount of reps inside that, that respective minute that you're on. So you always get 60 seconds, but you continually add one more repetition each minute. So you could do this with dumbbells. You could do this with, I mean, you could do it with like kettlebell swings if you wanted to, depending on what kind of equipment you have. You could even do it with burpees. But uh, the one that I always found a, a good liking for was uh, death by clean and jerk. So simple weight, pick it up from the floor to your shoulder, put it overhead, take it back to the floor, keep repeating that until you cannot do it inside of the minute that you're on. Pretty good scores will get you to about 10, 11 minutes. Like really peak type scores will get you up like 13, maybe 14 minutes. Um, but yeah, most people will usually get pretty humbled right around like the seventh, eighth minute. My best score, I can't, I can't off the top of my head. I'm not quite sure. I'm pretty sure I got, I've completed the 12th minute, and I think I got like 11 out of 13 clean and jerks on the 13th minute. Um, so I was super close to clearing that next minute and then kind of buying time. It's almost like you got to keep hitting that checkpoint to get to the next minute. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, like I said, like people who are just freak shows with a barbell. Um, usually can probably get into that 13th minute and uh and or sorry that 14th minute so they can finish the 13th minute and then they'll pretty much die out they can't get they can't get 13 in one minute and then immediately get 14 in the next minute they'll they'll fail out at 10 or 11 reps into the 14 round man well i'll have to, I'll, I'll have to let you know what i get so i'm excited to do that that's not, that sounds really fun awesome man well seriously dude thank you so much for joining me um, I loved our conversation today. Well, thanks, Christian.